Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna. So, yeah, I titled the talk a little bit provocatively, that uh, omnipotence and there's also other cosmic powers that Krishna have are overrated. And we're going we're gonna to find that that's the solution to kind of a conundrum. If you take a look at what Krishna is, how powerful he is, all, all of so many different uh, aspects. If you, examine, if you examine Krishna and who and what he is, you'll discover that he's extraordinary in so many ways. But then if you examine his behavior and some of his activities, some of his qualities, it probably says it seems almost contradictory. He doesn't act like this cosmic being. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit. We're going to compare and contrast Krishna's cosmic power with his activities, and we're going to find that the solution uh, to that, the reconciliation of that, has to deal with the fact that uh, omnipotence and his other powers are overrated. We're going to discover that. Okay. So, if we look at Krishna, he's in the very first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam, it says that he's param satyam. Prabhupada translates as the absolute truth. Or it even can be like the absolute existence. Because sat also means that which exists. you know. And so what it means is that he's the source of everything else that exists. He says that in Bhagavad Gita in the 10th chapter. And he says also... He said that he's, he's contains everything. He says in Bhagavad Gita, he says, just like the wind that blows through the, through the space or through the sky, he says, everything exists within me. So he's existence itself. That's pretty cosmic. So when Prabhupada says absolute truth, what he, what he means is that everything else that exists depends upon Krishna for its existence. Where Krishna doesn't depend upon anyone, he's svarat, he says independent. He exists all on his own. He doesn't have a source. He doesn't have anything, that, anything else that sustains him. He sustains and he creates everything else. By definition, that's unique. Second of all, he, he's omnipresent. It means he's everywhere. And the couple that he mentions in Bhagavad Gita, he says, by my unmanifest form, says, I pervade everything. He also says that, that he, says, he says, there's no truth higher than me. He says, everything rests upon me. Like if you have a pearl necklace, this is the pearls are resting on the thread. So he's holding everything together. Everything else is, is resting on him. He's sustaining everything. So every place, any place anything is, Krishna is also there. He's omnipresent. So, and then and there's a, 
uh, a couple of more omnis. <laughs> he's omnipotent. It means he has all powers. Which means anything that's in existence, he can do anything with. And any power that exists, it comes ultimately from him. Because he's the absolute truth. So he can, he can change anything, he can manipulate anything, he can do anything with what's existing. Plus, of course, he can make anything else he wants. So nothing he can't do. And then, last of all, he's omniscient. He knows everything. Again, in the first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam, he says he's abhigya. Knows everything. And he, he does this in a couple of different ways. So, first of all, it says that everything that exists is, 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 compared, is compared to like his extended body. The Srila Prabhupada says that just like if something happens in your body, you're immediately aware of it, he is immediately aware of anything that happens anywhere. He can directly experience anything. Hmm? And then plus he has the, the feature of, of Paramatma, the super soul that's within ev every being's heart and within every atom. He's observing everything. So he's observing everything and he also can directly experience anything. He knows everything. So those are, I'm calling those his cosmic qualities. And so if you try to even to understand those things, it's simply mind-boggling. You'll never be able to wrap your mind about around that, how there's something that can be the cause of all other existence, sustains all existence, can be everywhere, can know everything. We don't have any reference point to un understand that. Hmm? But then Krishna also, he appears... You know, 5,000 years ago, he appeared on earth. We have Krishna's pastimes here at the, on the, above the windows here in the temple room. And he acted in ways that were puzzling if we think about these qualities that he, had, uh, he has, these cosmic qualities that he had. Uh, we couldn't get the, uh, the TV to work today. I have, I have a picture here of Arjuna and Krishna riding on the chariot at the Battle of Kurukshetra. Krishna's driving the chariot for his friend Arjuna. The chariot driver is, is second class compared to the warrior on the chariot. But he's serving Arjuna. That's a little puzzling. And I have another picture where he's a little baby and he's coming to his father Nandamaraj with, with Nandamaraj's slippers, chapels on his head. He's bringing them. Nandamaraj says, Krishna, please bring me my slippers. And he's coming, smiling and bringing the on his head. They said that also sometimes Mother Yashoda would ask to have him to bring a, something, a little thing for sitting. And even though it was really too heavy for a child, he would somehow bring it. Or sometimes he would, uh, she would ask him to bring something that was too heavy for him. Said he would just move his arms like he was trying to lift it. He would try to do it. They could just... just his parents could just call him and he would do things for them. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, another time he, he plays with, his, with the friends of his own age, the cowherd boys, the, the gopas. And there was one instance where his mother was calling him to come home for lunch. It's time for lunch. As he starts to go with his mother and all of his friends say, uh-uh, Krishna, if you leave us now, our 
this is the prophet says, our playing is just at the summit. <laughs> we're just having the most fun possible. If you leave us right now, we're never going to play with you again. And immediately he's terrified. He's no, no. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go. You know, my friends will leave me. Does that sound like the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, absolute truth? Puzzling. Hmm? Uh, and then uh, there's uh, uh, the, the pastime that we're going to actually we're going to be hearing next month. Anand, uh, Ananda was mentioning it's going to be Kartik, and so he Krishna was uh, mother. His mother Yashoda was turning butter for him. He's known as the Makanchor the one who steals butter. And so she was concerned that he was going to the neighbors and stealing their butter because maybe their butter wasn't up to snuff. And so instead of allowing the servants to do it, she was going to make the butter all herself. And so she was turning the butter. And then Krishna interrupted her, and he wanted to suckle. And so she stopped, and she allowed him to suckle. And then she had milk cooking on the stove. And it started to boil over and she set him down to go deal with that. And Krishna, you know, he, he's hungry. And his mother put him down. And so he, start, he starts to cry and get angry. Angry tears start to come out of him. And he decides he's going to, he's, you know, he has to do something naughty. And so he breaks that butter pot with a rock and starts to eat it and feed it to the monkeys and such things. And his mother comes back, and, and then he realizes he's going to be in trouble. And so he, he goes to a little, a little secluded place and tries to hide out, watching for his mother, looking around where she's going to come. And finally, she's after him, and she's got a stick in her hand. Right? And he's, he's crying. She finally catches him, and he starts to cry in fear. Right? Does that sound like the omnipotent, <laughs> omnipresent, absolute truth? Right? And this, this actually is, uh, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, this incident is, is mentioned by his aunt, Queen Kunti. And in, in the first canto, uh, it's the 8th chapter, 31st verse, she says, My dear Krishna, Yashoda took up a rope to bind you when you committed an offense, and your perturbed eyes overflooded with tears, which washed the mascara from your eyes, and you were afraid though fear personified is afraid of you. He says, this sight is bewildering to me. So she was noticing this. How? He's this, but he's acting this other way. How is that? Why is that? Right? So, a lot of people have speculated on this and tried to understand it. And most of the time, they conclude something like, well, he's God, but in order to interact with us lesser beings, he takes on this particular form and acts in this particular way so that we can understand him. Right. So it's a temporary thing that he does. It's not really related to his core existence. He's just making, he's just interfacing with us somehow. Right? We're small beings, he's so great. So he, he takes a little form that we can relate to. The real important thing is this cosmic power he has. Many people speculate in that way. That it's just, it's, he's just for the understanding of us kind of less intelligent humans that he appears like this. But really we should consider him to be you know, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, the absolute truth. 
we should focus on that. Many people have thought that way. But that's not what we've received from, from our great teachers, that that's not true. In fact, Krishna, he dismisses that um, particular uh, theory in Bhagavad Gita fairly directly. He says, some people think that I used to be unmanifest and now I have become manifest. But no, he says, they don't understand my supreme existence and my eternity. The, the word, you know, Krishna, Krishna is, is an avatar. And the word avatar means one who descends. We use the English word incarnation, which is not very is precise. The word incarnate actually means to take on flesh. But Krishna isn't born, he doesn't take on flesh, he descends from the spiritual realm. So actually his human-like behavior is a profound revelation about ultimate reality. It's not just a means he's taking to relate to us. It's not a temporary manifestation. It's part of his core existence. And It really comes down to the point, and we're going to come again, because all these cosmic powers are overrated. There's something better than that. And of course, Krishna, if he is all these things, he is going to get for himself the most wonderful thing. Right? He's eternal. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He can have any world he wants. He can be anything he wants. So he is going to create for himself the best possible thing. So the reason why we think omniscience and omnipotence, omnipresence and absolute truth is very attractive is because we are living a life that lacks satisfaction. we're not fully satisfied. So we believe that we need things in order to attain happiness, to attain satisfaction. And when we try to do that, we find out that we're very limited beings. And we're dealing in a, in a large world with people that are more powerful than us, natural forces that are more powerful than us, circumstances we can't control. We think, if I had more power, I could become happier. Also, we don't know enough. If we knew everything, well, imagine if you knew everything, what you could do. We're not supposed to gamble, but it wouldn't be gambling anymore, would it? <laughs> you would know. Play the stock market, no problem. So omniscience would be a good thing. We think, wow, if I, just, if I knew everything, I would know how to work everybody. Hmm? Omnipresence, you know, that's a, I mean, that would be nice too. You can be anywhere. You can experience anything from everywhere, right? At any minute, you could experience anything. So you, would, you wouldn't even have to play the stock market. Right? You, could just, you could just enjoy anything that's there, just right now. That sounds like it would be an improvement. Right? Right? So we think, wow, if I could have those things like God, that would be great. 
We can't imagine anything higher than that. So that's why we tend to think omnipotence could not be overrated. It's the best possible thing. But it's interesting, if you look at spiritual development, as it's explained in, in, in the Vedas, this lack of satisfaction is not normal. As spiritual beings, we're meant to be satisfied. Souls, by nature, are satisfied. The fact that we are dissatisfied is actually an anomaly. And so through spiritual practice, one is supposed to be able to realize oneself as a soul and attain, it's called Atmarama, full self-satisfaction. And under those conditions, if you're fully satisfied, all of these other powers no lose so much of their usefulness. Right? You wanted them because you wanted to become satisfied. So why do you want to bother with everything? You're happy already. You live simple life. Why be bothered with trying to control everything, try to know everything, try to be everywhere? You don't need to. So you see, so many spiritual paths aim at shanti, peace, satisfaction. At that point, these other things don't do that much for you. You don't have to work hard anymore. You don't have to be looking for happiness. You've got it. It's full satisfaction. Just in yourself. It's mentioned in Bhagavad Gita in the second chapter, right? somebody who's reached that state, they have no more desires that come from the mind. No more desires. They're happy. Hmm? So Krishna, <laughs> that's his condition. If even little parts of him, he says the, the souls are mamavangsha, little tiny parts of him, if they're by nature satisfied, how satisfied is Krishna? So similarly, for his life, these powers aren't very significant. I mean, somebody has to be God, so he's, he's God. Somebody has to control, he does it. Somebody has to, you know, so he, he, he fulfills those necessary activities. But what does he do for his own existence? Right. Well, there's something that's beyond full satisfaction. That we haven't experienced. But we've experienced different levels. Sometimes we feel pretty satisfied for some time. We've experienced something like that. We, can, we may be able to extrapolate and understand that it could be possible to be fully satisfied all the time. You can imagine that at least. But there's something beyond full satisfaction that Krishna has discovered, Krishna has perfected, and that's what Krishna's doing. That's why he has, that's why he has his activities. That's what his leela is about. It's not about finding happiness. It's about finding this very, very special thing, pure love. Now, love in this world is kind of a difficult concept. 
Because it seems, if, if we've dealt with love, we oftentimes find that love produces unhappiness. Right? There's a whole genre of music, the blues. That's almost all about that. Any popular music anywhere, you know, it's just so much about, you know, <laughs> the complications of love. The problem with the love that we experience in our lives is that it's mixed with desire. We hope the love will relieve our lack of satisfaction. The other person you know, checks all of our boxes or some of them and will make us be happier, relieve that lacking in us. Or even if we have. See, love means that you, not that you desire someone or something, but you appreciate someone or something. So we have all experienced to some degree where we've wanted to do something for somebody because we just think they're great. And we felt a happiness from that. But because underneath there's still a lack of satisfaction, we can't sustain it. We can't sustain it. So from a level of full satisfaction, real love can emerge and be stable. Like we have, we have there's a saying, right? oftentimes I say in English, right? you love someone enough to let them go. Right? Usually you love someone, you want to have them because they're part of your desire. But if you saw the value in someone sufficiently, you simply want their welfare regardless of how it impacts you. You love them enough to let them go. So this is love that doesn't have a desire. So from the platform of full satisfaction, real love can develop without desire because desire comes when there's a lack of satisfaction. And it takes something to stimulate it. Krishna's name means all attractive. Krishna's personal qualities and his beauty are unimaginable. And when when souls can come into contact with Krishna, they feel not only is there full satisfaction remaining, but it's increasing. Have you ever just felt happy to see something wonderful? You saw something wonderful and just that, even that made you happy. So Krishna is so wonderful that the, self, the fully satisfied soul begins to overflow. And out of this deep gratitude wants to do something in return. Wants to do something for Krishna. So the all-attractive nature of Krishna draws something from the soul that's beyond full satisfaction. There's a, in, in, the, in the purport to the Bhagavad Gita, uh, first chapter, verse 21 and 22, uh, it talks about, that verse talks about how Arjuna was responding to Arjuna's request to drive the chariot between the two armies. And Prabhupada says in his commentary, he says, the relationship between the Lord and his servitor is very sweet and transcendental. 
The servitor is always ready to render service to the Lord, and similarly the Lord is always seeking an opportunity to render some service to the devotee. So when the soul comes into contact, the self-satisfied soul comes in contact with Krishna and the soul overflows into love, Krishna's heart is melted. That's what it knows that the relationship is reciprocal. So I'll ask you, would you prefer to be loved or to love? Or to have both? Both. Right? Everybody wants both. So Krishna, by nature, will attract love from everybody. So he can be loved. And to an amazing degree, he can be loved. But Krishna also wants to love himself. That's, that's full. It's the same pure love. He wants to feel that. So he's, when his devotee, Prabhupada uses the example sometimes, he says well, a little child may give his parents you know, a drawing unless they're what they bring home from school. And, and oftentimes the quality of the drawing is not you know, that great. But the parents are touched. Because right? the child gave them something out of the goodness of their heart. So we may not be able to do so much for Krishna. But Krishna appreciates that. It touches him. And he then wants to do something for us. Now, particularly, and Krishna says like this, he says, the pure devotee, this is from the Srimad Bhagavatam, ninth canto, fourth chapter, verse 68. He says, the pure devotee is always within the core of my heart, and I am always in the heart of the pure devotee. My devotees do not know anything else but me, and I do not know anything else but them. Now, in the, in, in the, um, especially the, 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 some of the pastimes with, with Krishna and, and, and his shoes, Krishna and, uh, and the cowherd boys, and Krishna with Mother Yashoda, something really special is going on here. When Krishna reveals his, his pastimes in Vrindavan, there's something even more special that goes on. And, uh, and Prabhupada says, um, let's see, he says, this is from the introduction to the teachings of Lord Chaitanya. Prabhupada says, Usually God is seen as the Almighty Father who supplies the demands of His sons. The great devotees, however, sometimes treat God as a son in their execution of devotional service. The son demands and the father supplies. And in supplying Krishna, the devotee becomes like a father. Instead of taking from God, we give to God. It was in this relationship that Krishna's mother, Yashoda, told the Lord, Here, eat this or you'll die. Eat nicely. So it says that, that, that Krishna, because he is so sweet and so charming, he can captivate the minds of the devotees to the extent that they even forget his cosmic powers. There's a, a, an example that's given after Krishna kills the evil king Kangsa. Vasudeva and Devaki, his birth parents, came to see him and they understood that, you know, they, they were just little children. 
and they were killing the, these great wrestlers that were there. They killed the evil king Kamsa. They understood he's God. No, only God can do something. So they came with him like this, you know. And Krishna wasn't very satisfied. Krishna and Balaram, they weren't very satisfied. And so they started to talk very sweetly to them. They said, oh, you know, we had to leave you behind in fear of Kamsa. We had to go to Vrindavan when we were young. And, you know, what kind of children were we? We could never do any service for you. We could never do anything for you. He acted so sweet and so kind that their feelings of love as parents came out of them. So sometimes you'll hear, somebody will meet somebody famous and they'll say, oh, that person was so down to earth, they just talked to me, we chatted, you know, we get connected. So Krishna is so charming. He changes, it's so sweet that it just, they can't help themselves. The devotees just come in and deal with him in a very intimate way. Prabhupada says that the, the Krishna becomes dependent upon his devotee. <laughs> and, the, and the devotee thinks like that. Mother Yashoda thinks, if I don't feed him, if I don't protect him, he'll suffer. Right? That kind of love is more intense. If you know he's God and you, you respect him and you think that he's wonderful, that's one thing. But you think, I have to... I have to take care of this. He'll die. If I don't feed him, he'll die. The level intensity of love is great. And for Krishna, on Krishna's side, when that happens, see, and for Krishna, think about it. If you're being loved, if you are in a dependent position like that, like this is, this is why people remember you know, there are mothers. There, there's, there's stories of, uh, I was reading this book a long time about uh, World War I, where the, there were, you know, battle lines drawn in trenches, and in, in the middle there'd be wounded people and nobody could get to because there was, you know, it was too dangerous to get them. And they would be calling out to their mothers. Right? And their mothers, I mean, their mothers, number one, weren't there. Number two, if they were there, they couldn't get out into the middle of the, <laughs> of the machine gun fire. And probably they were wounded too severely for them to, to do anything if they did. But they remembered so deeply that when they were helpless, that their mother always fixed it. So it was some kind of, you know, it was like a madness that came over them because of the deep impression. So it says that Krishna, because of that intense love that comes from them, even though he's still God, he still has all those powers he gets into his role as a child so much that he also forgets. That his, his, all, all his omnipotence goes into the background and he just wants to be a little baby and be loved that way. That he can, and he can, love his, he can love his mother more intensely. With Arjuna, they can be friends. And so the love is more intense. So this is, the, this, is, this is the reason why the things we associate with God are not so important. The real thing is this pure love that He's, that he's given. And we have the opportunity. And the reason we're here is because we're invited to that. We can join in in that kind of love with, with Krishna. That's what's being given to us by this tradition. So, so. Thank you very much. If there's uh, comments or questions. Okay, we'll take questions.
questions from either side. We'll start off over here, and then we'll come to the ladies. Uh, Hare Krishna Prabhuji. Thank you very much for a very, very nice, wonderful class. Uh, a comment and a question. Uh, like uh, when you are explaining about the omnipotent and omniscient mm. nature of Krishna and you said like uh, imagine like how it could be then uh, you know what things we would have done like if we are that like is kind very uh, <laughs> dangerous uh, but at the same time when you explain very uh, nature like the nature of Krishna how kind and great even though he is omniscient is uh, mm. thank you very much it is very touching mm. and uh, the question is uh, uh, because living entity in the constitutional position is uh, satchitananda vigraha mm. so chit means like full of knowledge does it mean that he is full of knowledge full of knowledge means is he on equal level of knowledge no no, it, it just mean, it just means that 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 the, the soul is conscious and has a certain level of knowledge, not omniscience, like Krishna. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, it's just, you know, a, a certain amount of knowledge, a certain amount of consciousness. It's a small part of Krishna. Okay. Yeah. okay. Because it kind of scared me to be in full of knowledge. No, so. that that would spoil everything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hare Krishna Prabhuji, thank you for such a beautiful mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, it's not a question, but mm. I, w- I was wondering if you could also highlight um, one particular pastime of Krishna when um, he purposefully sends Uddhava to Vrindavan to get the um, mm. love from the gopis, where mm. he's already self satisfied in what you've been explaining in this class today. If you could please explain a little bit uh, about that pastime. Well, there's, see, Thank Krishna ha- has his pastimes also in Mathura and in Dwarka. And in those places, the, the relationships are less intense. And so they have a tendency to be more aware of Krishna's divinity and his powers. That's why it happens with Vasudeva and Devaki. It also happens when uh, when Krishna is born to them. He 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 appears as four-armed Vishnu, right? And and they and they say, "You've come to kill Kamsa." And like two verses later, they said, "Oh, but Kamsa's going to come and kill you." Right? So something changed, and they 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 felt parental affection for him. So Uddhava is Krishna's closest companion outside of Vrindavan. He's uh, you know he he's the He's always with Krishna. So they're very, very dear friends. But, but also, Uddhava understands who Krishna is to a larger degree than the uh, residents of Vrindavan. Actually, he expresses surprise. There, there's a time when, uh, when um, uh, Krishna was asked to do two different things. To attend the, 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 the fire sacrifice for Maharaj Yudhisthira and to go and rescue the kings that were kept by... Uh, which demon was it? And anyway, and, and so he said, what, what, "What should I do?" Oh, he had to, he had to kill uh, kill um, uh, the father-in-law of Kamsa, Jarasandha. Yeah. 
And so he had, he had two, two uh, contra contradictory requests. And so he goes to them and says, what should I do? So he was like, okay, you're omniscient. Why are you coming to me? Right? So he sent Uddhava to bring a message you know, to the residents of Vrindavan, to comfort them because they were in, the, in, in separation. But he wanted them to witness. He wanted Uddhava to witness the superiority of the love of the Vrindavasis. He, he, he wanted him to see that firsthand. Because Uddhava was as close as it gets to him. He had great love for Krishna. He said, you see these guys, and you're going to be, and, he could, and uh, uh, Uddhava was, you know, when he saw the love that they had, it blew his mind. So just let me you know, be born as a blade of grass <laughs> outside that area. You know, so he, he is, his story is a good um, highlighting of the difference between the intensity of the Vrindavan pastimes and the, and the other very intense <laughs> pastimes outside of Vrindavan. You know? Hare Krishna Prabhu. So can uh, you, you basically said that we have to be self-satisfied in order to have pure love for Krishna. Uh, so as long as we are not on that platform, should we like aspire to just get on that platform? Or should we, should we even attempt to love Krishna? Or are they related or... No, for for us, for us, the 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 becoming self-satisfied is not really a, a it's a it's a byproduct of what, what's going to happen in our path. So right now we have we we're luckily already have some attraction for Krishna. We've experienced something of Krishna's beauty and charm, and we're attracted to him. We've experienced something of his all attractiveness because we are still have so many other desires. We 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 feel a lack of satisfaction, then our meditation on Krishna is broken. We're, we're, doing, we're do, having two goals at once. We want Krishna and we want regular happiness. Yeah? And, and then they're, they're antithetical. As one is more intense, the other one has to drop. And, so, and that tends to go back and forth. This is called anishtita sadhana bhakti. When you're practicing bhakti, and you're, it's going up and it's going down. This is a natural state. The idea, though, is that we try to continue to fortify our connection with Krishna. Right? By doing service, by hearing about Krishna, by chanting Krishna's name, associating with the devotees. Then our attraction to Krishna and our appreciation of his attractiveness continues to grow. And so gradually we will come to the point where the remembrance is steady. This is called nishta. Hmm? And so we don't we don't take we don't try to become self-satisfied as a separate goal. We'll reach that point, but we'll be, but it'll, it'll be already with with an attachment to Krishna. So he doesn't we don't have to go there and then go to Krishna. But we, right now, because Krishna is all attractive, we can feel that even now in the midst of our lack of satisfaction, we feel probably because of the higher taste, we experience something higher. And so that that's the beauty of bhakti. We can access Krishna. Some of Krishna's uh, extraordinary beauty and attractiveness right now. We can see the deity, we can chant Hare Krishna, we can taste prasadam. Right? So that's, that's the, how, we, how we advance. We go, we go with that. It will not, our devotion cannot become perfect until we have, have, have advanced to the point where there's no longer you know, selfish desires. There's only desires for Krishna. 
comments, is it? Yesterday I was reading in uh, Bhagavad Gita a purport from uh, 9.2 that Shoal Prabhupada says this, It is said that the execution of devotional service is so perfect that one can perceive the results directly. This direct result is actually perceived, and we have practical experience that any person who is chanting the holy names of Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, in due course of time feels transcendental pleasure and very quickly becomes purified of all material contamination. It is actually, this is actually seen. Furthermore, if one engages not only in hearing, but in trying to broadcast the message of devotional activities as well, or if he engages himself in helping the missionary activities of Krishna consciousness, he gradually feels spiritual progress. This, advan this advancement in spiritual life does not depend on any kind of previous education or qualification. The method itself is so pure that simply engaging in it, one becomes pure. Beautiful. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Thank you for your lecture. Um, it's um, it's uh, this question is regarding the starting point where you begin the lecture by quoting Srimad Bhagavatam's verse that. Krishna is described as Param Sattva. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I just feel like it's so mysterious that such a kind of existence, which is the support of everything else, can love himself. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm thinking maybe you can expand it more on this mysterious part of mm. Krishna. Well, just, I, I think it, it, that's good. It, it follows, though, in the, as I was trying to explain, though, is, is that all those powers and all that cosmicity isn't that satisfying. Right? There's something that's sweeter. Because think about it. If you are that being, it means you are so different than anything else that exists that there really can't be a relationship with you and anything else. You're alone. If, if you... Like the difference between Krishna and us is far greater than between us and a virus. Far greater. Now can you have a, a relationship with the virus? With a virus? Now a virus is the smallest possible you know, little creature. The difference between us and Krishna is far greater than that. Right? And so, so there's self-satisfaction is all that's available to him, it seems. Right? But he's understood that there's something greater than that. And so he's made it happen. He's created beings that have the capacity for love. And he's created a situation in which he can push all that other stuff to the side. It still happens. He's still omnipotent. He's still omnipresent. He's still all those things. But he can have his own private life where he can love with his infinite heart and be loved by, infinite, by an infinite number of beings. So he's just because, he, I mean, because he's omniscient, right? he's smart enough to escape that situation 
of, of being lonely or just being self-satisfied. He can, he's, he, he's, he's intelligent enough to figure out this very clever. Nobody, I don't think there's anybody could come up with that. Any, no, not anybody who's ever speculated on the nature of God has ever thought about that. Because only God could come up with something like that. You'd never expect it. So he, he realized that, you know, that having all those things doesn't, doesn't have any meaning. Really, just the best you can have is self-satisfaction. But he realized there's something higher. And so he's arranged so that he can experience that. Best thing I can say. He's smart. <laughs> Thank you, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Prabhuji. Hare Krishna. So, Krishna is Uttama Sloki. So, whatever the best words, uh, uh, I mean, he has all the best words that required to describe him. Like, he is a Swayam mm. Bhagavan mm. and uh, he is Sarva Karnaka Karnam, mm. the supreme cause of all causes. Mm. And Prabhupada also nicely gives a, a definition of what is Bhagavan and he mm. also mm-hmm. gives the definition of it. Mm. Even though this definition is very good enough to understand his position, his omnipotent, uh, mm. omni, uh, omnipotency, mm. uh, why does this word absolute truth has its very significant place in the scriptures? Like Srila uh, 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 Prabhupada has so many times mentioned Krishna mm. is absolute truth and all. Because it, it comes right from the first verse in the Srimad Bhagavatam, you know, which is, is in one sense is, is a quick summary of the whole text. And so, this is param satyam, absolute truth. And so, so it's it's, you know, it's just very prominent in, in our tradition. And Prabhupada, Prabhupada uh, he liked to, he liked to distinguish that between absolute truth and relative truth. Is because it's, it works really well for that too. Because everything else is relative, dependent upon Krishna, and Krishna is dependent upon nothing else. So that that's you know, it's just it's there very prominently in the in our, our major scripture. And Prabhupada liked it. <laughs> I guess yeah. there's two, two reasons why we, we hear it so much. Okay, so I understand, uh, like, uh, it is to be understood Krishna not in a related terms, but it has to be, uh, we have to understand Krishna in his, in his terms. Is, is, that, is that the right way to understand? Well, it, 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 means, it means also that everything comes from Krishna. See? So when Prabhupada says relative truth means it depends upon something else. So absolute truth means that it's, it's independent, and also everything else depends upon, everything has come from Krishna. And so therefore it depends upon Krishna for its existence. Both, both for its creation and for its sustenance. So, so it's a very powerful concept also. Even existence itself comes from Krishna. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Prabhu. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Gary Govardhan, Prabhu. Um,